Amen. You can turn in your Bible to the book of Philemon. Philemon chapter 1, because there's only one chapter. So turn to Philemon chapter 1. It's where we'll spend our time this morning in verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7 of Philemon. Before I go too far in this book, I do want to say, if you didn't have an opportunity or a chance to be in first service this morning, that's a sermon that you need to go back to and listen to. Um, it's such a privilege to have Vodi with us, Vodi Bakum, and, and that sermon on the wisdom of God and the foolishness of the gospel to the world, it's one that you guys often ask about. I think after every Sunday or every Wednesday night I've been to Bible study with you guys, I'm grateful for the concern that you often have of how is it that I should share the gospel with others? How do I proclaim the good news of Jesus with other people? How do I help my friend come to know who Christ is? And I think that oftentimes the biggest struggle that we have is that we put ourselves above that need to share the gospel. We put our own name and our own reputation above the line that is needing to declare the gospel of Jesus as it is. And so if you didn't have a chance to, That'd be a great sermon for you later on uh, today or this week uh, to take a moment, go back and listen to a very powerful message about uh, the foolishness of the gospel and yet also its divine wisdom because it's the only gospel we have. With that, turn with me to Philemon and we will be in verses 1 through 7 this morning. And let me read the word for us. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Pray with me as we turn to the Lord's word this morning. Lord, we do thank you for your inspired and inerrant word. We thank you that this word before us, it comes from you, it has no errors, it isn't um, untrue in any way. Every word of it is meant to be for our good and meant to demonstrate to us the goodness of God. And so we thank you that in a small letter like this where we're called to forgive one another and to do so because of a great model that we have set before us in the book of Philemon, we pray that we would tune our ears to hearing what you have to say that we would give our attention wholeheartedly to your word. Limit our distraction. Help us to focus and settle our minds in the moment that we're in. It's a long week and it's a short hour that we have together to be in your word. And so I pray that even in this time, we would take it seriously and that we would allow it to work mightily in our hearts so that we would love and devote ourselves to Jesus all the more. Pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we turn back into this book of Philemon, 
uh, we're reminded of a few items before we get to the substance of our text for this morning. I want to give us a little bit of the context that necessitates Philemon and in part, really just alongside of the text, not necessarily giving you the ins and outs of everything going on between Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon, but, but a quick understanding of this greeting, who this letter is coming from, who it's going to, and why it's so powerful. And I think that as we discuss this conversation this morning as to Philemon's call to forgive this runaway slave, we're going to recognize that The only means by which Philemon can do that is that Philemon has known, experienced, grown to love the grace that has been shown to him in Jesus. The grace of Christ has produced a peace that is now in the heart of Philemon that is used as the means by which Paul calls this man to forgive another brother in Christ. There is no greater motivation to forgiveness but simply the fact that you know Christ and Christ knows you. And so that's what we see in this letter. Firstly, let's look here at Paul's words in greeting to Philemon. And it'll help set us up rightly to understand, especially verses 4 through 7 of the letter. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved worker, fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Who this letter is coming from? Well, it's coming from Paul. And we've discussed before that this letter is is coming with a few other letters. Paul is in prison, and I think it's of note as we begin the letter that Paul doesn't say he is a prisoner of Rome. You notice that, right? Paul is in a, in a prison, but he doesn't attribute his imprisonment to being of Rome. He attributes his imprisonment to being for Christ Jesus. And I think that's important for us to understand. It's very unique to the letter of Philemon. Here, Paul is giving Philemon a bit of an understanding of just how much it can cost you for following Christ. He, he doesn't say, I'm in prison because everyone else thinks I'm bad or everyone else thinks that what I'm doing is wrong. Paul simply says, I'm in prison because I'm faithful to Jesus. And being faithful to Jesus can cost you everything. And it's almost serving as an opportunity to say, Philemon, what I'm about to call you to is a very difficult thing. But I know difficult things. What I'm going to ask you to do, it's not going to be comfortable. What I'm going to ask you to do, it's not going to be culturally appropriate. What I'm going to ask you to do, it's not going to be just necessarily. What I'm going to ask you to do, it isn't easy. But doing what's right often isn't. Doing what would honor the Lord Jesus often isn't. And Paul recognizes that. And not only that, but Paul has experienced that in his own life. And so he writes this letter, not as a prisoner to any particular system, but a prisoner because he loves Jesus. He even views the chains that bind him in that moment as a means of being faithful to the calling he has in Christ. And it's on the basis of this that he then writes this letter to Philemon. You'll notice that he also mentions Timothy, his brother, 
Some try to say that this means Timothy wrote the letter with Paul. I think that's very unnecessary. I think it's simply that when you are a prisoner, you would hope to have a friend. And at every turn that Paul has trouble and trial, it seems that Timothy is his go-to friend. Timothy is faithful to him. Timothy is always with him. Paul is never alone because he has Christ, but Christ is so kind that he also sends him Timothy. And Paul, recognizing that his ministry will come to an end one day, it's almost as if this young man, this brother Timothy, he's the kind of guy that Paul wants to set up to take over someday. And so he includes him here in the letter, almost as if to give him a nod of appreciation, but also affirmation. Paul mentions Timothy, and in doing so, he gives Timothy a respectable name to this church. So I, Paul, am suffering for the sake of Christ. I write to you alongside my brother, Timothy, whom I want you to respect and love, because one day he will be taking over for me. And I'm writing this to you, Philemon to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Some, although it's as clear as crystal here who this letter is written to, try to debate whether this letter was really intended to Philemon, or to someone else, another person mentioned in the letter, or to a particular church. It's not rocket science, and we know that because Paul says to Philemon. When you take God's word seriously, those kinds of things are easy. What's well, not as easy as to understand exactly who this man was. It's the first time we see any mention of him. And yet, I think the terms by which Philemon is described give us an accurate, adequate picture of who the man was. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Remember, we've talked about in the book of Colossians, Paul has never had the chance to visit or be with this church. So it's very unlikely that Paul would have met the man Philemon while being in Colossae because he's never been there. There is some speculation that maybe they met somewhere else, particularly in the church at Ephesus. But none the matter, I think it's important to note that Philemon is the kind of Christian that you hear about. Philemon is the kind of Christian that you hear about. Here's what I mean by that. He's the kind of person whose life is so in love with the Lord Jesus, is so surrendered to the Lord Jesus, is so desirous of honoring the Lord Jesus that people talk about it. It's word, it spreads through the camp, it spreads through the church, and it even makes its way to a prison cell. Philemon is the kind of guy that's talked about because of his devotion to Jesus. He's exemplary in that. He's a model for that. In fact, so much so that the church in Colossae, it looks like they meet in his house. He's developed a good reputation, a good name. He is a faithful Christian, a fellow worker. And Paul has a deep-rooted respect for this man. And you'll note that this is going to be important. Why? Because Paul isn't going to command him to forgive this runaway slave Onesimus. Paul is going to ask him to. Even in the beginning here where Paul describes himself as a a prisoner, it's so uncommon because Paul is typically saying, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Paul, someone specially sent by the Lord Jesus to tell you what to do. He does something so different than that. And he does that here because there's something distinct 
about being the pastor of a place and being the friend of a Christian. And as he calls Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he doesn't just want Philemon to do it because Paul said so. He wants Philemon to do it because Philemon is a faithful Christian. He wants Philemon to forgive Onesimus because Philemon already knows what to do. He doesn't have to be heavy-handed. He doesn't have to tell him what to do. He doesn't have to use his authority. He doesn't have to say, you have to listen to me because I'm a pastor. You, don't, you have to listen to me because I'm an apostle. You have to listen to me because I've seen the Lord Jesus. I've been with him and, and I've talked to him and he's commissioned me to be a very special person in ministry. No, he addresses Philemon on the basis of, you are a beloved fellow worker. This is the way that a true shepherd deals with his people. This is different than how you talk to a church. This is more so along the lines of how you would talk with a small group leader, isn't it? Some of you would love for your small group leader to always tell you everything you have to do. Some of you would love for me to talk up here about everything you have to do this week to show that you're a faithful Christian. And I could do that. Your small group leader could do that. Other leaders could do that. Your parents could do that. But at some point, if Christ is true to you, if faith in him means anything to you, if love for him is true in your heart, then we don't have to go very far to get you to do what he wants. We have to point you back to who you are in him. And that's Paul's method for Philemon here. He's going to address him on the basis that Philemon is a faithful and beloved Christian. And so because of that, there should be a particular response that flows out of his heart. I could tell you what to do, but because you love Jesus, I know you already know what to do. That's Paul's message to him. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon. He addresses some, a few other people here. Aphia, our sister, and our is Paul and Timothy, not Philemon, because that would be weird. Philemon is married to Aphia. That's his wife. So that would not be his sister. Right? Archippus, our fellow soldier, is believed to be Philemon's son. And this seems to be a faithful family. Aphia is not just lumped in with him as a, a sister uh, to, to these men because they're related. It's a sister because she seems to also have a love for Christ. Archippus is also deemed to be a fellow soldier. This seems to be a guy who's militant for the things of God, wants to honor God. And this family is a beloved family that in Colossae allows the church to meet in their house. And I know that's not something that's common today, but in, as the church began back in the first century, there was nowhere else to meet. The church had no reputation. The church wasn't distinct. The church wasn't recognized. The church wasn't even loved or appreciated. The church was something persecuted. And so you had very limited options about where you could meet and where you could worship. And so this church, they met in Philemon's house. And Paul writes to Philemon, this particular member in a particular church, to make him a particular example to all of us of how we ought to forgive sinners, especially those who are now our brother. And to drive the point home one more time, Paul ends verse 3 with these, this greeting with these words, a final call to draw Philemon to forgive Onesimus on the basis of who he is in Jesus. 
Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very common aspect of Paul's greetings. It's in all of his epistles. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can glance over those words. They, to us, oftentimes seem very cliche and very meaningless, but these words are very powerful. Because these words are a reminder to Philemon of who he is in Jesus and what Christ has done for him. Notice it doesn't say mercy to you, but grace to you. There's something altogether different about what Christ has done for us. And it should change the way that Philemon thinks about forgiving his runaway slave. It should be on the basis of grace. Grace that he has received as a gift. Mercy is the putting away of what you're due, but grace is giving you something you don't deserve. And so Onesimus, he's done something wrong to this guy, and now Paul calls him to forgive him. On what basis? Grace. It's not just don't punish the guy. It's now love the guy much more than you ever could before you knew Jesus. Grace. Grace is the gift that God has given us in the gospel. And grace is the means that Philemon will be able to forgive Onesimus. And what does grace produce? Those who have grace are also given peace. The product of grace is always peace. And so Philemon is called to forgive this slave on the basis that he has been granted grace through Christ so that he would have peace with God and God's people. And Onesimus comes back not simply as a runaway slave returning to his house, but Onesimus comes back as one who is now a brother in Christ. So there's something completely different about how Philemon should treat that man. Now, this is who the letter's to. It's a call to Philemon, not a command, but a true plea, uh, an appeal to forgive this runaway slave. And you recognize that Paul very quickly is asking Philemon to do this on the basis of who Philemon is in Jesus. The grace of Christ, it produces peace for Philemon with Christ, but also Philemon with others, and now Philemon with someone who he has something against. And notice that in this, Paul is going to put aside many things. How Philemon feels about it. What Philemon thinks is right. The kind of reputation that will come to Philemon if he forgives Onesimus instead of doing what the culture and the people around him think he should do to Onesimus. The payback that Philemon is owed from Onesimus for all the days and years that he hasn't worked for him, all the labor that he's lost, and because of that, even perhaps all the money he's lost in town, all the earnings he's lost in the community for his family. Paul is not concerned with any of these things. All these things become nothing in light of being made right with Onesimus. And the saying that is true for Philemon is true for you and me. When it comes to someone who's wronged you, when it's come to someone who's offended you, when it's come to someone who's hurt you or disappointed you, 
There is now a call, an obligation, not one that's man-made, but one that's divine because Christ has forgiven you to go and also forgive others. Grace gives a lot, and it never gives any less than forgiveness. That's the message of Philemon. And now in verses 4 to 7, here's the heart of the matter for us. Paul, as he calls Philemon to live in light of who he is in the gospel, now I want to give you this. Paul calls on and draws upon four essential qualities of a forgiving heart. Four essential qualities of a forgiving heart. Paul, again, is not telling him what to do. He's going to make a, a plea. He's going to make an appeal. He's kind of begging him. You know what to do and you should do what's right. And here's how I know that you can do it. Here's how I know that you can and will forgive Onesimus. There's four things in your life that I see that guarantee for me that you are going to forgive this brother. And these same four things will be true of any Christian who walks with the Lord and knows that they've been forgiven by him. Number one, love. Number two, faith. Number three, belonging. And number four, blessing. Number one, faith, love. Number two, faith. Number three, belonging. And number four, blessing. Now that Paul has made it clear his love for this man and also the gospel this man has received, that he is one who's received grace and now has peace from God, peace that is both with God and with man, Paul is going to draw on four realities of this man's life that should draw him to see what he needs to do as Onesimus comes back home. There are also four things that you should see in your life that where these things are lacking, it will be no surprise that you have an unforgiving heart. That where these four things are lacking, it will be no surprise that you often seek not to forgive and seek not to reconcile. That if forgiveness is hard for you, there probably is also a lack of love, faith, belonging, And being a blessing. Let's look firstly here at love. Paul writes to Philemon. He has a particular agenda for this letter, this uh, written meeting. But first he gives God thanks for who Philemon is. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. What a beloved thing to think about. And what a hopeful thing to be. That we would be the kind of people that when we're thought of, people give thanks to God for us. That's not a selfish thing. That's a Christian thing. It's what you do. When you love someone in the Lord, when they come to mind, you lift them up to God in prayer. Not only because you know their needs, but because you know how much they mean to you. Philemon has made a name for himself to the point that Paul, when he thinks of him, he can't help it. He bursts out into praise to God, remembering who this man is and thanking the Lord for sending him into ministry here in Colossae. But he gets much more specific than that. What does he thank God for? Why is he so grateful for Philemon? Well, verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now, there is something weird about this sentence, and I'm going to help clarify it for us a little bit. The way it's written in your Bible would make it seem like, okay, we're thankful for his love, 
And then we're thankful for the faith that he has in Jesus and in saints. That sounds super Catholic. What happened? That's not what it was. That's not what Paul intended. And instead, if you were to look at this in Greek, which would be Greek to you and it also is to me, what you would see, Paul has constructed a sentence that the beginning goes with the end and the middle stays in the middle. So Paul is saying really this, I hear of your love for all the saints and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. That's Paul's message. That's Paul's thought and that's Paul's remembrance of Philemon. He is a man who loves all the saints and has faith in the Lord Jesus. And so the first thing, the first essential quality of a forgiving heart is that you be someone who loves. What does that look like? Who is the person that loves? How is love defined by God? Well, we've discussed this many times. I think the key element for us to know is that love is from God and those who receive it always pour it out. If you've known the love of God, the God who is love and the God whose love died on a cross for you and rose again so that you wouldn't have to spend an eternity in hell, but instead you can live for eternity with God in his presence in full and and unfiltered worship of him for all eternity, that God has made that possible for you because of his love. You should have that same kind of love for one another. I hear of your love towards all the saints. God's people become a priority for every Christian. If you claim that you know Christ, it isn't simply about the relationship that you have now vertically. It's that what you have with Jesus, what you have with God, it now impacts what you think of his people. Church isn't simply where you want to be. Church is where you need to be. Fellowship, it's not just something that you think would be a good idea. Fellowship becomes a necessity for you. God's people, they might not be perfect, but they exactly are the kind of people that need you to sacrifice for them, pour into them, give of your time to them, give of your resources to them. Love. It's not the kind of love that's just tolerating and accepting, that puts up with any little thing that steps into its way. It's a love that's pure, a love that comes from God. It's a love that speaks up for truth. And it's a love that does not enjoy wrongdoing or malice. It's a love that hates sin. And it's a love that loves God. It's a love that looks not only to its own interest, but the interests of others. It's a love that reflects very much Jesus. Philemon was a man of great love. And this caught Paul's attention. And I think the reason it calls calls Paul's attention is because of number two, This love is rooted in a faith that he has toward the Lord Jesus. Faith towards the Lord Jesus. And so Paul's love for the saints, it isn't something that just operates in isolation or it comes out of thin air or it just happens because Philemon's a great guy. No, the reason that Philemon loves God's people so fiercely, the reason that Paul loves God's people with such a passion And in such a way that it's gone out as his reputation of being a great man of love for God's people is that he has faith in the Lord Jesus. 
That is the common sticking point of every believer. We have a love for one another because we have believed upon Jesus as he is. Jesus isn't just another guy. Jesus isn't just another teacher. Jesus isn't just another motivational speaker. Jesus isn't just a guy who tells you some few things that will help you fix your life a little bit so that you have a really nice one, and then we'll figure out what happens then after. Jesus isn't just another prophet. Jesus isn't just another priest. Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, Philemon has surrendered his life to that ultimate reality. He has faith. Some of you in this room, you walk in here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I don't know the reason why, but I would pray that you walking into this room would be marked by, adorned by, or really be the adorning of faith in the Lord Jesus. I love this ministry so intensely. I love the fun we're able to have. I I love the things that we're able to do. But if you get anything from this ministry, I pray that you would get this. Our objective is that you would have this kind of faith. That you wouldn't waste away your life. That you wouldn't give it to something that is fleeting. That you wouldn't give your life to the vapor that it already is, but that you would give your life to the God who's given you his eternal word. That while a flower withers and grass fades, his word is everlasting, you would give yourself to knowing Christ as he is, Lord and Savior. And that in doing so, you would love his people. Someone who loves God's people will forgive. And someone who's believed upon the Lord Jesus will forgive. Why? Because in order to love everyone else, you first had to come to terms with the fact that God had to love you. And in order to love you, God had to give his son, gave his son because he loves you and he died for your sins. Why? So that you would be forgiven. The God who is love and the God who demonstrates his love has made it possible for you to be forgiven. Thus, those who believe in him must be also a people who forgive. And those who profess to live by his love must love in a way that he loves, one that forgives. Paul is writing to Philemon and hoping that he will forgive this runaway slave. But before he even gets to that, he's just going to toss in these few reminders about who Philemon is. You're a man of great love, and so I know you'll forgive. You're a man of great faith, and so I know you'll forgive. What about you? You claim to know the love of God. You claim to have that love for one another. You claim to know Christ in true faith and true repentance. And yet there's someone in this room who you just can't get past that thing they said this week. Or you just can't get past that thing they said two years ago. That thing they did to you so long ago, it's just, it's something you can't let go of. Well, listen, if that's you, you're having a hard time living out the realities that are essential of someone who's just a Christian. To forgive is to be a Christian. And to be a Christian is to be one who has great love and great faith. Thirdly, belonging. 
Paul is grateful for Philemon's life because it is one that's marked by love and faith. But third, it's marked by belonging. Verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul is grateful because he sees love in the life of Philemon. He sees faith in the life of Philemon. He also sees belonging. He prays for that here. And it's a word that in your Bible and mine is noted as sharing. And I think it's, it's not the best rendering of this word because then when you read it, many tend to think that Paul is praying that Philemon would be the kind of guy that shares his faith, that he would be an evangelist, and that he should be, and that you should be, but that's not what he's talking about. The word here is koinonia. It's a word for fellowship or partnership, for being together. It's really a word that ultimately means belonging. And I think you understand what this word looks like. You all are here right now, but when we all leave, you will go with the people that brought you because you belong to them. If you jump in my car, I will kick you out. And we don't have space. We have too many car seats. That's my fault. You belong to a particular family. If you were to walk into this room or, and wear a sweatshirt that said Crusaders or VCS, that means that you don't go to Heart High, you go to Village Christian School, right? And if you wore a shirt in here that said HS, that either means you're in high school or homeschooled. I get it. I'm understanding it. Difficult to understand where you belong, but you are trying to identify somewhere. Homeschool, high school, maybe both. But you belong somewhere. You understand this concept that there is a, a certain relationships in your life that these are people you can't get away from and you don't look to get away from. You don't need to get away from. You wouldn't want to get away from. And if this is true on an earthly level, now I want you to imagine it on the level that Paul's talking about. Paul is saying Philemon belongs somewhere because of his faith. Philemon belongs somewhere because of his faith. It reminds me of Acts chapter 2. You could turn there quickly with me. Go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, verse 42, what do we see to be true of the life of the church? Well, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And fellowship here is that same word. They're devoted to teaching and to fellowship. And so now let's look at what that, what, what that looks like. Let's look at what that looks like, right? What does it mean that we're devoted to teaching and fellowship, this belonging to one another? Well, they break bread together, and they pray together. Verse 43, All comes upon every soul, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All believed, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were united. They had an unbreakable bond. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They cared for one another. There was an intentional desire to be there for one another and to meet needs however was necessary. Day by day, attending the temple together, they worshiped together. They went to the same place. They worshiped God. They broke bread in their homes. 
They had people over for dinner. That's what that means. They hung out together. They took time to be in each other's lives. They didn't try to isolate one another from each other. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. In verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number. There is a portrait in Acts 2 of belonging. It's that God's people love to be united because that's what Christ has done for them. And so they don't find a bad opportunity by which they are together. And I think that's important for us to note because you belong somewhere. But I wonder if you care to and you think of yourself as someone who belongs to Christ and his people. You know, you've probably heard of Don Quixote or maybe you haven't because you're not Hispanic like me. But I have and he has a friend whose name is uh, Sancho Panza. And, you know, I I can understand that because I'm really close. I'm Santo Panza. So, you know, I have a holy belly. Um, but Sancho Panza has a, has a great statement in this novel book. It's meant to give you life lessons. Uh, Sancho Panza says this, and it's very proverbial and it's very Hispanic. Tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. Tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you who you are. I think the concept that we see there is one of belonging tell me who you belong to and i'll tell you who you are that's in part what paul is able to say about philemon why because paul shares he participates he belongs to a community of faith that's what he shares he belongs to a people of faith he belongs to a people that love god he belongs to a people that care about God. And I wonder if the true, the, the same could be said about you. What do the people in your life that you would say you belong to, that friend group that you have, that group that you hang out with at school, that group that you hang out with on your team, that group that you hang out with on your campus, what do they say about you? Not because you shouldn't have friends who are unbelievers, Not because you won't be a part of a team where everyone's not a Christian. We get that. But belonging means so much more than simply having a friend. These are the people you turn to day in and day out. These are the people that pray with you. These are the people that come to your house. These are the people that worship God with you. These are the people that care for your soul. These are the people you want to be with. Who do you belong to? This has a huge impact because true faith should inform who we belong to. Your relationships will tell us something about your faith. Your investment and who you let invest in you, who you're willing to help, who you're willing to serve, who you're willing to be loyal to, who you're willing to stand up for, who you're going to give your time to, who you're going to seek to benefit and who you're going to seek to bless. It tells us something about who you belong to. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Philemon seems to be the kind of guy that knew where he belonged. And I wonder if you do. 
And if you say that you belong to God's people, and you say that you have a love for Christ, and you say that you know him in full, and you say that you trust in his work, and you say that you want to live for him, then if you belong to God's people, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be willing to forgive. Where you belong, you want to keep that together. The people you belong to, you don't want that to break up. The people you belong to, you don't wish for that to be harmed. You don't wish for things to grow bitter and sour. Because when they do, James 3 says, that's only because we have selfish ambition and lust in our hearts. That doesn't exist in God's economy. That doesn't exist in God's world. And so instead, you're the kind of person that says, I belong here and I'll make sure I always belong here. And the way that you can ensure you do that is by forgiving people. Listen, people in this room, other Christians, other people who love Jesus, they will hurt you too. We are imperfect people following a perfect Jesus. So there will be moments where we get under one another's skin. There will be moments where we offend one another, say something we shouldn't, do something we shouldn't, speak about one another in a way that we shouldn't. And the heart of someone who belongs to Jesus is that they will seek that unity by forgiving their brother. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, how can he love God whom he hasn't seen? And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If you have faith in God and you have love for one another and you demonstrate that you belong to the people of God, you'll be the kind of person that forgives because you want to keep God's people united just how God desires it to be. So you belong. Lastly, Paul tells us, not only do you belong, but you're a blessing. And we begin to see that a little bit at the end of verse 6 and into verse 7. He prays that the sharing of his faith, or more accurately, the partnership of his faith with others would become more effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I think that's a good word for us because in this letter where Paul is calling Philemon to forgive, he draws upon the fact that he belongs to this people He draws upon the fact that as he belongs to this people, he wants good things to keep happening amongst good people. And you know one of the key ways that you can ensure that that happens? You do everything for Christ's sake. You do everything for the sake of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says, Do not take that into your hand which belongs to God, or which God says belongs to him, But as he, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, so also forgive those who have done you wrong. I think that's important. Because for us, what that means is, I might not feel like forgiving, but for Christ's sake, I will forgive. I might not want to forgive, but for Christ's sake, I will forgive. I might not think it's right for me to move past this, but for Christ's sake, I will. Paul reminds Philemon that his life doesn't belong to him, but it belongs to Jesus. 
And so because of that, he will forgive this man, not because Paul says so, but because Philemon lives his life for Christ. And lastly, Philemon lives his life to be a blessing. Verse 7, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. It's a word that, refreshed here is a word that describes or thinks about the refreshment that comes after running a marathon. You ever gone on a long run and, you know, I never have. So have you ever gone on a long run and known what that looks like? Because I was hoping one of you could tell me. Okay, this is not helpful. But I would imagine that if you ran for a very long time, at the end of it, you would be winded. And yet you've seen it, and I've seen it because I've never experienced it, but I've seen it when someone's on one of these long races, there's different stops along the way, and there's people along the way who are meant to encourage them. And it's kind of that picture. It's refreshment. Here, you, you need to eat a banana right now. You need oranges. You need a Gatorade. You need water. Let's help you keep going. This is the kind of guy that Philemon is. In the race, there's many runners, and many of us are aiming towards the finish line. And many of us will make it. All those who love Christ and know Christ and who Christ knows, they will make it. But we need encouragement along the way, don't we? We need refreshment along the way, don't we? And Philemon is that kind of guy. Philemon is so in tune with who he is in Jesus. He doesn't care predominantly about himself. He cares about being a blessing to other people. This is what Paul has heard from him. And it's such a joy and a comfort for Paul to know this. He's drawing this joy and comfort from the reality that Philemon is the kind of guy that all people in God's family say, that guy is an encouragement to me. That guy has been a blessing to me. That guy has helped me run the race. That guy has helped me know God. That guy has helped me love God. That guy has helped me to be a better church member. That guy has helped me be a better husband. That guy has helped me to be a better son or daughter, a better student or athlete. That guy has helped me to be like Christ wherever I am. That's Philemon. And if Philemon is that kind of person, and if every Christian is to be that kind of person that is a consistent blessing unto other people, what do you think would be something that could get in the way of Philemon continuing to do that? A lack of forgiveness, isn't it? This is the driving point of this letter. Philemon, this is who you are. You are a person who loves. You are a person of great faith. You are a person who belongs to Christ. And you are a person who's been such a blessing to other people. And so as I send this guy back, I recognize you're going to do the right thing because this is you. Just keep being you and you'll do the right thing with Onesimus. You will forgive him. You'll do much more than that. You'll account him as a brother. You know, my dad's here today. And maybe I've told you this story before. But when I was your age... Uh, you know, I didn't have a school bus that took me to school. I had to take the public transportation system, and it was very dangerous. And so uh, that part was not necessary, but I feel like I just had PTSD, so it just came out. Um, but I took public transportation system, and my dad would take me to the bus stop every every morning. 
so that I could take that 30-minute drive over to school. And we would sit there and we'd listen to sports radio, Eagles losing day after day, Phillies trying to win, Sixers never going anywhere. And we would talk about life or we would talk about how, you know, I, I, I was wearing shorts and it was 30 degrees outside, all the normal stuff. And then the moment would come where I have to open my door and leave for the day, get on a bus, go to school, be on my own, be my own person. The reminders I got for four years, which annoyed me at the time, another blessing I didn't know I needed. Remember who you are in Christ and remember your last name. Those were my reminders for four years going to high school. Remember who you are in Christ and remember your last name. If you want to do the right thing, you want to behave the right way, you want to live a God-honoring life, It isn't simply by focusing on all the things that have to get done. It's focusing on who Christ says you are. It's on loving him and it's on reflecting that love that you have for him by every day committing to saying, I'm going to remember who I am in Christ. That's the message that Paul is relaying to Philemon. This opening thanksgiving, it's a way of saying, remember who you are yet again, Philemon. Remember yet again, this is the kind of character. These are the essential qualities that make up your DNA in Jesus. This is what the cross has done for you. It's made you a man who loves deeply. It's made you a man who has sincere and pure faith. It's made you a man who has a community you belong to. It's made you a man who is such a blessing to other people. And I'm sending you a problem. And you're going to have to forgive him. And I know you will because this is who you are. Friends, if there's anyone that you still want to harbor an issue with, I can tell you there's nothing that's more unlike Jesus than that. Jesus has forgiven you. Will you not forgive others? And if you need any motivation to do so, and you call yourself a Christian, then you need to see who you are in him. For in that is every motivation you need to go and forgive others. Be the kind of person that dwells richly on how Christ has given you a new life, one of love, faith, belonging, and blessing, and one that because it seeks to preserve all those things, sees nothing as too far gone, too far gone to forgive. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your truth. Thank you that in Jesus we have been forgiven richly. And thank you that because of Christ we also can forgive others. Lord, you say so in your word. Forgive us even as we forgive those who who are indebted to us. And so there is a huge relationship in that. That those who forgive much have also been forgiven much by Christ. Help us to be those kinds of people. And motivate us to be those kinds of people based upon who we already are in Jesus. Help us to be men and women of great love, faith, partnership in the gospel, and blessing unto one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.